Welcome everybody to another edition of Suave Talk, but this is a new and improvement version of this show. I got a co-host, we're starting a new podcast, and my co-host is, you've seen it on social media, my boy Turbo Tyler Herb. This is our first episode. Turbo, how excited are you and how honored are you that I uh, picked you to be my co-host? I mean, it's kind of a big deal. I'm a big Dirt on Dirt fan. I have been since, uh, you know, I was able to use the computer after it got taken away from me the first time I got a computer. So uh, I'm pretty pumped up about it. And uh, I think you you and me together, you know, that's like two burnt hot dogs. So that's <laughs> kind of like, a, you know, it's like a full meal deal. So I'm pretty pumped up about it. So are we officially the wiener dogs then? We are the wiener. We're the new Dash and Dolly of racing. And for anybody that doesn't know, Dash and Dolly are my two wiener dogs. I love them to death. I'd kill somebody over them. I love them. Yeah, and uh, just talk about. We'll hear really quick about your uh, weekend at White Hot. You let that scrub Ashen Winger beat you. Come on, what's up with that? Man, I don't know. I don't know what it is about that race. I just like cannot win it for whatever reason. I win a heat, you know, lead half the race, and then right around lap sixty to seventy. If my math's right, that's where I always just fall out of the seat. Uh, you know, unlike a lot of guys that race, uh, it wasn't because I scuffed the right front or we had a long caution. Like, I just made a bad decision in traffic, and he, he got by me. And uh, basically, he did a better job than I did, which is what a lot of people don't like to, you know, admit. And um, so, basically, it's going to be a long winter. Um, I'm hoping Randall keeps me around a little bit longer. You know, uh, he's pretty let down. Colby was pissed. He broke a tire iron, so just tells you how you know how swole he is to to be able to break that. But he did a really good job. Congrats to Ashton. Uh, for anybody that listens or sees this, every time you see him, just remind him that he's now in the big leagues. So tell him to uh, you know make sure he wears icy hot and performance pants and things like that. Yeah, and you're uh, closing down to the end of your season. You got a little short break. You're headed to Australia here again in January, but this means. The word of the day is turbo silly. Am I when I mean silly, you know what silly that means? Season? Huh? It's a silly season. Is it's, it a silly season? It is silly season. Your favorite time of the year. Turbo, I've said go find me some details, maybe some true ones, maybe some not false ones, but what are you hearing right now? Give me a couple and what's like the big hot one you're hearing? All right. The hottest one that I've heard, and this is this is from a really, really reliable source, is that my good buddy Timothy Colt may or may not be back on a national tour and or if not the Hell Tour. Um, he's got two new cars on order. His motor that he ran all year this year, 1,800 laps, hasn't freshened it. He's going to get it freshened and hit the tour hot. Uh, some other big news I've heard that, uh, you know, they said that they might have been done, but then I talked to Benson and Benson said, no, nah, we're not done. And then Don said, no, nah, Benson doesn't know what he's doing. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on there that, uh, you know, you never knew, never know who uh, who might be behind the seat. Uh, some pretty uh, wild names I've heard, you know, that might be driving that. Uh, Clint Boyer, that's another, you know, another hot topic. Uh, they lost their crew chief to the squirrel. He found a nut in Anthony Burroughs. So the squirrel, you know, he's probably going to tackle Lucas from what sources are saying. There's just a there's just a lot of stuff going on, uh, you know. People losing rides, people getting rides. I've even heard best performance might run World Outlaws, but that's not a, you know, that's between me, you, and the tree. Yeah, in the world of Outlaws, you are originally a woo boy. Did you miss that tour this season? Uh, I did. I mean, there were some parts of it. Mostly, uh, my buddy Kenny, he's the tech man there. He, uh, me and him have a really, really close bond. I mean, really, really close. Yeah, I heard. Um, I've heard. So uh, yeah, there's a there's a couple pictures floating around of Kenny and. 
you know, some of uh, me and Kenny and us hanging out. So just, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was different to run Lucas, but uh, I do enjoy running Lucas. And, uh, you know, I got to meet new people and race at a bunch of different racetracks. So I wouldn't say I'm a favorite on one, but I'm definitely more of a veteran on the Woo Trail. It is definitely true. I think you started racing the Woo shows when you were like 13 or 14, when you were a little stockier. It feels like I think I was Logan Robertson's age. Isn't that kid thirteen or fourteen right now? Yeah, he is. Well, he says it. He said it's twenty-two on his website, but we got to get Ben Shelton and Jeremy Peters to fix that because there's no way he's of age. Jeremy Peters and Jeremy Shields now work for the MSR Mafia. Fun fact. Double J's right there, and uh, and if you did run the World Outlaws, you get to race with your uh, actual father, who will be interviewing here later on in the show. Yeah, Big Daddy. Yeah, Big Daddy Mark. He's a he's like three different marks all in one. He's like Mark Soprano. He's kind of like, uh, you know, Santa Claus Mark, the guy at the mall, just a big teddy bear some days. And then, uh, you know, other days he's like Mark Wahlberg. He's just like, or Mark Cuban, you know, that's four different marks. He's just, some days he's just the most savvy businessman you'll ever meet. And it's, you know, it's kind of hard to knock the guy. He's definitely, uh, he's got it going on. What do you enjoy the most of silly season? Because I know me, you, and the Culp have always go texting back and forth. We just say silly season. What just gets, what makes it entertaining for you? The lies. I mean, I I can I could sniff a lie out pretty well. <laughs> Is like, there a lot of lies would, too? Yes, facts. Oh man, I I just I don't understand. Like, like literally, I put a picture of my car out after wine on. People were like, "You're gonna be with Best?" Like, I literally said, "Can't wait for Best in 2020." And they're like, "So you're getting fired from Best, huh?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's what I've heard. I don't know. You know, like, I mean, you never know. But it's like, dude, there's some things you just gotta listen to what people say and. You know, if it comes from the right mouth, then you know, hey, that's the truth or it's not. And the crazy thing is no one can keep a secret in this industry. That's what makes it even funnier. No, no. If you uh, if you have any dirty laundry, you better not show up to uh, Brunswick because everybody will know what happened over the winter. I mean, there's just no secrets in racing. Yeah, do you have you have no secrets ever. You're like a good boy. No, heck no. Listen, when you live this life and your body's a temple like mine, there's nothing you could do wrong. You got any other silly season things that you'd like to see or hear in? Uh, one silly season thing I would like to see is Weaver run the full hell tour one more time. I just, I think that he's still got it in him. I really do. I, I think he would for sure be a top five, top three guy, no matter how many people were there. Um, and then the last, last big silly season, I don't know how silly you might think this is, but I've heard Scott Bloomquist is going to be running a true outlaw schedule like the Jackie Boggs outlaw schedule, like go wherever he wants. And I've heard that they've have to pay him anywhere from 2,500 to 10,000 to win to show up, or he will not race a race next year. So if he runs 50 races, he's going to get 2,500 to 10,000 per race to show up. That is something I did hear this weekend at why not. I thought was pretty, uh, you know, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's definitely pretty interesting, but it's definitely could be true because if Scott Blomquist went to like, you know, because he, he could just, he only needs to race 25 to 30 times anyway. What the hell does he need to be going on a national series for? All I know is I hope they pay him to go to every race I'm not at, like all the crown jewels and stuff. That way it's just not even, you know, out of sight, out of mind. That's one less car you have to beat because he's just, he's just that good, you know. So what do you think like a guy like his stature getting like money, make only showing up for show up money? Do you think that's kind of ridiculous? No, I actually, I'm a fan. I hope when I'm however old he is, you know, with everything that's happened to the guy and uh, everything he's done in racing, I mean, I'm not showing, I'm not rolling out of bed for less than 2,500 bucks, especially when I'm going to have to work and, you know, get in and out of that thing. It's just, when I'm 55, I want to be in Mexico with my wiener dogs on a little wiener dog farm and, you know, just living my best life. So yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. I think Scott should get paid. I don't know, uh, 
I don't know if 10,000 is a stretch. That was the first guy that come up to me. He told me 10,000. I told him he, uh, he was eating too many hot dogs from the why not concession stand. But, uh, I mean, I definitely think if I'm at that point in my life, I would, you know, I'm going to do everything I can do to make the most money possible and, you know, not kill myself to do it. So kudos to you, Scott. Hey, I got a million dollar idea. You want to hear it? Yeah. 20 years from now, I am Derek Kessinger, but I'll be your Cody Summers. And we just go on tour. We win races. We roll domination. We get bad to drive the other car. I think we could do we're it. sponsored by Bush. Are we'll we be sponsored, sponsored by, by Bush? Bush Light Beer for sure. And we just, you know, we're getting all this show up money. We're winning races. And, you know, we're the head honcho. And Mark Richards is getting mad at us because we're winning all the races. Yeah, and I bet we could get Boom to sponsor us cigarettes if I had. I bet Boom would sponsor us cigarettes. All the cigarettes we could smoke for a whole year on tour. The best thing is, you know, I I, I tuned with him during the Dirt Track World Championship. I really could resell his six because he only smokes like two or three puffs and just throws it on the ground. Like he wastes three quarters of a cigarette. My dad's the same way. My dad smoked my whole entire life, and he's a two pack a day guy. And I swear he takes twenty puffs out of that whole two packs the whole day. And he just—I think he just stress smokes them, especially when he used to come to the races every weekend with me. This guy—he'd burn a pack in the feature, and this is before I was running good. So now I could only imagine what it's like to run. You know, for him to you know watch me at Eldor or something, what he's doing up there in the stands. So you're, uh, this is gonna be more of a serious question. You've been racing. You probably raced the most out of anybody this year. Probably close to a hundred nights. What's the most difficult thing about the off season that you're not racing, you're doing stuff in the shop and getting stuff ready for 2020? Um, honestly, it's just getting lonely and bored. Like, you know, you're used to seeing people and things like that. The work doesn't bother me at all. I, I actually enjoy it. That's what we're doing this week. We're polishing, you know, we're cleaning our rig up, getting it polished, uh, taking everything out, restocking. You know, we'll have a full weeks of just honeydews. But I just hate the, the like, like come Thursday, Friday, I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, do I, do I call this guy and try to hang out with him? Or do I, you know, sit in my house and paint some walls? Like, I mean, I just, I get so bored. I like, I like being on the move and doing things. Uh, this weekend I'll have fun. You know, I'll, I'm actually going on a cruise with my family. So I try to plan enough stuff while I am racing for when I'm done that I, I stay busy every weekend, but I'm just a, I'm a doer, man. I, I, I don't sit at home. I bet I'm at home for eight hours a day and that's to sleep. Like I just, you know, I, I can't sit still. I'm always moving and doing. So that's a, that's the hardest thing for me. Uh, the, for other people, you know, it could be the no, not, not making money. That sucks. So if you've got another hobby or if you can paint or, you know, carve wood or ice, you'd do that in the winter, but I'm not really good at much else. Uh, I guess talking, that's one thing I'm good at. I can yeah, start, that, my, own, start, start my own podcast. Yeah. We start our own podcast, right, bud? <laughs> Turbo, we're going to do some segments, you know, before we get to the interviews. And we talked, you know, a few times of what we're going to do. So one of my favorite ones I think we're going to do is what it's going to be called Who's Berkey of the Week. So that's Berkey is Brian Burkoffer. Essentially, we're saying who's back of the week. So an example, I would say, you know, maybe Boom Briggs takes another flip or another bad wreck. We would come on Monday and talk about who's Berkey of the week, and I would say Boom Briggs wrecking again because sometimes he gets in a lot of wrecks, and it's something that he doesn't do every week. And, you know, just like Brian Burkoffer, he's raced, retired, come back, raced, retired, come back. So we're going to be calling it who's Berkey of the week. So you kind of get the gist of it, Turbo? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just like uh, it's just like keep calling your ex-girlfriend you don't like, but you just, you just can't help it. You know, you just keep going back and forth. Yep. So I'm going to let you go first. You're the main honcho in this podcast. Who is Berkey of the week for you here on this Monday? As no. bad as I hate to admit it, it's definitely got to be Ashton Winger with the double, the double steering wheel drop. Uh, 
I guess that's his trademark. JD holds his up. Josh does the finger point shake. Um, I don't. I guess I do backwards donuts. I don't know. Everyone has their thing. Ashton Winger, he's a he's a mic drop. He or yeah, he takes his steering wheel. You know, kind of stares off into the crowd. Boom, drops the wheel, dents the deck. Gary's pissed. Uh, I mean, I think it's funny. I I do. I like it. It's a good. You know, that's his signature. So, I'm gonna give it to Ashton this week. Even though uh, I would definitely have liked to uh, not even have him mentioned in this, but he did. He did a good job this weekend. So. Mine's Ashton, Ashton Winger. Who's yours, Swap? Wait a minute. So, Ashton Winger, does he still have his stupid mullet or did he cut it? Cut his hair, got a new fire suit. It's been winning races ever since. And there's also a rumor of him that he might be running the Woo Series next year. You been hearing anything about that? I've seen it on Twitter, but I've also heard from more reliable sources that he may or may not run the Hell Tour first, you know, this year to get his feet wet. So, you know, that's just part of the silly season. You really don't know. Ashton Winger is either going to run the Summer Nationals or the World of Outlaws or run for track championship at Sonoya again. Yes, and a 602. So my who's Berkey back, who's Berkey of the week, basically who's back. I'm going to go with former late model racer Tyler Reddick. I know he was racing asphalt now, but he's a he's a late model guy. He won his second Infinity Championship title. And the funny thing is, he equaled the amount of career late model wins he has. He only has two career late model wins. One at East Bay when he was like 13, 12 or 13, and then he had one at Highland. But how crazy is that? He has two NASCAR championships and only two career late model wins. That's pretty nuts, Turbo. I don't know many people that are, you know, that are would rather have more late model wins than NASCAR championships. So yeah, that's that's pretty badass. He uh he definitely it's pretty cool, you know, to say that was somebody that we all used to race with and things like that. So congrats to him and uh that's a good one. That's a good pick swap. He didn't that was not one that crossed my mind when we were brainstorming. Yeah. But also I wanna like he owes me a shout out after winning the championship because he was a, he was struggling at the beginning of the year and it was about April and you know his uh fiance girlfriend, Alexa, I've known for a while. So she she lives in Bloomington. We go to the pub too. And we have a good time, maybe a little cocktails. Shout out to the pub too, Bush Lattes. And all of a sudden, he goes on this tear and ends up winning the championship now. And he has yet to thank me in one of his interviews. What do you think? I think that's pretty sorry. Like every time you've hang out with me and we did a hot ice and then I went on a heater, I definitely, uh, you know, I didn't, I gave you the credit when credit was due. So, uh, Tyler, you definitely need to call Suave and send him a plaque or something. Maybe the checkered flag from, from Homestead. I mean, that's kind of cold. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's bullshit, really, what I think. But uh, I think that segment, Who's Berkey of the Week? We're going to have one more segment coming up after the interview. But I think Berkey of the Week will be one of our hot ticket items. I agree. I'm, I'm looking forward to weeks to come. I like, I like things like this. I'm, I'm trying to find, uh, you know, one of my all-time favorite ones, even though it's not Berkey of the Week, is like the next time I see Jackie Boggs' Great Dane shit on somebody's car, like that's my Berkey of the Week that week. <laughs> That dog is huge. It looks like a horse, and it's everywhere. Every time he's there, that horse is just, like, walking around, and that dog's going to shit on somebody's car one day, and I'm going to get it on video or something. So just be waiting. That one will be one of them in, in time to come. It'll probably be, like, the one or three times Lucas Oil goes to Portsmouth, too. Yes, exactly. Well, the best part about this thing is we got this nice audio equipment. We do these interviews in truck and trailers, and we did three at Charlotte, but our first guest that we interviewed is the was the godfather, the legend – of Rocket Chassis, Mark Richards, basically your stepdad. And that was pretty good time there because we got to go in the blue hauler. We had to take our shoes off Turbo, but he didn't have to. He basically laid the law down for us. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say is Mark did let me drink a protein shake. And uh, he definitely didn't tell me how to get around Charlotte because I sucked that weekend. So 
uh, you know, boo to you, but at the same time, thanks for being a, he, he didn't believe we were interviewing. That was the funny part. He said, this isn't real. This is not real, Suave. What are we doing? Why is Tyler in here? Yeah, Did we, he not? Yeah, we set up all this audio equipment, and he thought like we were just messing with him the whole time. Because the best part was, I just said I was doing a one-on-one interview just so I could get him in the hauler, and then you were just sitting there waiting. So he got him out, kind of got him out of surprise there a little bit, and it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like, like Cash Cab or something. Like He didn't realize what he was getting into. All right, here's our interview now with Mark Richards. Joining us now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline is National Dirt Late Model Hall of Famer, the godfather of rocket chassis, and the dad of Tyler Herb, Mark Richards. Or wait, is it uncle? Or maybe it's your road dad? What do you? What is he to you, Mark? I'm not sure. I'd like to think Mark's kind of like my, uh, he's like my guardian on the road, I guess. You know, like when you went on those field trips and stuff as a kid and you had to get someone to sign as your parental guardian, that's what Mark is for the last... Godfather. Yeah, the Godfather for the last three or four years. He was the one that I'm his Godfather. I, you know, he uh, he was allowed to do corporal punishment or anything that <laughs> anything that I messed up. He was a uh, he uh, he had the okay to be step in and be the parental figure. Yeah, and like speak. So I guess if he's your Godfather, he's got three kids: Brandon, Josh, and you. What's the similarities and difference of those three on the racetrack? Um, I don't know. They're all different. They're all different. They're all different. I don't know. I think I have a. I think Turbo's a little bit of both. Like you know, he's a younger Josh a little bit, but I think he's maturing more into like oh, yeah. a little Chevy. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, but they're different. All right, fall of nineteen eighty six. Mark Mark Richards Racing is born. What's the story around that? Fall of nineteen eighty six. That's what it says on your website. I'm just saying. That's what I mean. Um, no, nineteen eighty six. That's what I said. Nineteen eighty six. Fall nineteen eighty six. Yeah. Or did I, I say ninety six? You said ninety six. Okay, eighty six. My bad. What's the story around that? How did it get started? Um, Steve Baker called me and said, hey, we need to uh, put a race shop in and start selling bullet cars. And then I, I just left WRC, and I said, I'm not sure I even want to fool with racing. My dad was on me, and he said, you can't make a living in racing. So Baker finally twisted my arm enough, and we put a shop in, and we started putting bullet cars together and uh, that's how we kind of got started with mark richards racing and then in 1992 you changed the name of rocket chassis what's the it's still the same name same it's name? just we started building rocket chassis well there. Like, how did you decide to go with the name rocket uh <clears throat> well we were selling bullet cars and they kind of fell off and we weren't selling very many so we made some changes to one of the bullet cars, and Davy Johnson drove it, and he won the first two races. He drove it at West Virginia Motor Speedway, and he said, this thing comes off the corner like a rocket, and that's where the name kind of stuck. Name stuck forever. So when you first started doing all this, what were you doing at the shop? Were you welding, cutting, building bodies? You were the one-man band. Me and Baker. You and Baker. Who do you think did more... Like fab work, you or Baker? Was Baker more the brains, or were you more the grunt? Or I mean, who who was? Well, it? I was building cars when I was like fourteen. So okay, this just didn't start. Right, I built cars with my brother when I was fourteen, and we had a company called WRC. Rodney Combs and I did from nineteen seventy nine to I sold out to him in nineteen eighty six, and we built about a hundred cars a year. They were called WRC cars. Right, right. And what was Baker doing at the time? Baker was building transmissions then. Really? 
So was him and the Hawkins brothers their dad? He were worked they all? for Melvin's. Really? Which was which was the uh, the the guy that actually started the Hawkins deal. Uh, it was uh, Mike Hawkins's partner's dad, and and Steve worked for him. Uh huh. Okay. And how many chassis now have you guys built since then? And can you even fathom that you built this many to the since today? when? Since when you started in 1986 or 1992? Well, 1992, since then, we're over 5,400. Wow, and Turbo's probably destroyed, what, five or six of them? I'd say <laughs> my rocket counter is at one, two, three. I mean, I've at least destroyed four of them, but they've been able to fix quite a bit of them. But, uh, that first year with him was a little shaky. The first year was rough. I called Mark, and I was like, hey, uh, actually, I didn't even call him. I, sh- I walked up to him at Moeller of all places, which is where we live now, basically. And I was like, hey, I want a car, blah, blah, blah. I had some money. I was like, here, I want a car. I mean, I talked to him on the phone. They were going to Atomic. And I was like, yeah, I want a car. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Just like every other Tom and Harry that's like, hey, Mark, I want a car. You know, I want to hang out with you guys. And uh, he got me that first car. And, like, I went from running dead last, barely making shows, to, like, running really competitive. And not changing nothing. And I was like, man, this guy, he's a genius. Like, this is the, I, I've hit the mother load here. And I raced that car nonstop for a month and went to I-80 and absolutely destroyed it. By myself, at a race, he told me, do not go. He said, you don't need to go to that race. You got one car. Be smart. I said, yeah, yeah. I drove there anyways, destroyed a car. Well, then about 18 hours later, I was back at Rocket fixing, tried to fix it. That thing was junk because I'd already tried to fix it once. And I crashed it again the next day testing so I drove back to Mark's, picked up this beautiful red car. I remember that one. And then the what happened? The red rocket. And uh, it made it one night at Quincy. It was good there again. And uh, I think we all know what happened the next night. I flipped. Well, yeah. He, he wanted to be Joey Chitwood. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that was uh, me and Mark. We got off to a really good foot. I was probably a big contributor to Rocket's business that year. I definitely went through some stuff. I told him at Fairbury. I said, hey, man, I'm not sure you ought to be parking by me if you're going to be driving like this because I don't need all this commotion over by my truck. And he, like, flipped the opposite way of what everybody else does, yeah. too. That's what made it bizarre. It was, it was unique. I never seen two cars flip the opposite way. And obviously, uh, Brandon Shepard, he's your current Rocket House car driver, but who was all racing under the one car? It was 68 for a while, though. The rock, Well, our actual house car program started as number 68. And... Uh, Actually, it started. I got to think about that. Number one, it actually started as number one. Uh, before the rocket days, we did campaign a car with. It was a bullet car with a guy named Butch McGill from back home, and uh, that was a number one car. And then when Timmy, we kind of teamed up with Timmy. I didn't have. Things were really tough back then. It was tough to put a whole team together. So Timmy had some engines, and I had cars, obviously, and. We started a team, and we ran from 1991 until 1999, and, and Timmy ran, uh, he ran he ran really well. He won the Have a Tampa Shootout, and he won the Pittsburgher, and he won quite a few big races driving our car. But his greatest accomplishment was the false track record that held for like 13 years. I think that was his greatest accomplishment. Yeah. I, you remember that all the time. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, he sold a whole bunch of shirts that night. Like yeah, we did. 300. I had that to. was a pretty crazy place back in those days. Still is, but... I missed out. That would have been more of my time period, I think. I think you weren't even born yet. I'm just saying, I think the 80s and 90s, me and Mark on the road, we would have we definitely had a lot more fun. Who do you think the best driver is you've had? Or can you say that? 
Ooh, tough. I don't know. I, I don't want to make that call. I mean, I've had a lot of good drivers. Top three. Top three. You can do three. You can do the top three. I know two of them right now. I mean, two of them are a gimme. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not going to put them in any order, but Josh and Brandon have been, you know, two of the best that's ever drove for me. How's you it got, feel like you're – yeah, who's the third then? You got one more still. Is it Francis? Who's it going to be? Francis won a lot of races. People don't really give him credit now because Yeah, he Francis off. would have to be up in there. I'm telling you, Francis is a – I mean, he's probably one of the better yeah. in Francis, his time. I mean, Rick drove for us for a short stint, and he did well. And he did some uh, one-off stuff with us before and, you know, ran the Mopar car some on, at Pittsburgh on one, one trip. And there's been quite a few different guys that have done some one-off races with us. Okay, we got to get to some juicy stuff here. This guy is a history buff of dirt late model racing, but I don't know if he truly appreciates the dirty dozen. We've talked about it before, but rumor has it that you got this thing started in Pittsburgh. Is that true? Uh, I don't know that it started at Pittsburgh. I, I, I'm going to say that Scott the secret Blum- meeting Scott Bloomquist and I uh, met with some people, and Scott had the idea of the twelve people, and we said, you know, we got to figure out what the parameters are of who those 12 people are and well you want the 12 best well who are the 12 best so you had to have you know some kind of national championship or some kind of crown jewel winner to be considered into the 12 so you know there was more than 12 that was invited uh to the original meeting and um you know it got narrowed down to 12 and Scott had the idea for the Dirty Dozen years before that, back in the 90s. Um, you know, we actually met with him with Timmy back in 98, I think it was, and he was going to do the Dirty Dozen deal himself back then. But uh, when this deal rolled around in 2000, it was 2003 is when it was, when it was starting to go together, uh, Scott had the idea, and we talked. Like I said, we met with some people that had just bought um, – Dirt Motorsports, and they just bought the World of Outlaws. And we met with those guys, and and uh, had the, he ran the idea by them of the Dirty Dozen, and they were good with it, and we started a late model series, and that's where we're at today with the World of Outlaws. And it kind of, like, started because the Stacker series or whatever, Doug Bland or whatever, that kind of, like, he wanted to go with good year, and you guys were all loser, and you guys wanted to keep supporting them, and that kind of, like, led you guys to do this. Am I correct? Well, well definitely. Bit? I mean, you know, Hoosier had been a big part of – my career, I, I mean, my life, and they've been a big part of Scott's life. And I actually went to the factory back in the 80s when I was crew chief and, and partner with Rodney Combs and got the first production tires that came off of the, that they built. And we took them to Iowa and raced them. So my history with Hoosier went back for a long, long time. And for, you know, a guy to come in here and just wipe out that history, you know, Scott and I wasn't, you know, we decided that, we needed to probably do something to try to keep Hoosier involved. And it had to be pretty cool because you had, like, 12 of the best drivers, and it's arguably probably the best series, like, a collection of drivers. To go to, like, all these tracks throughout the country, you guys probably felt like rock stars because you guys packed the place every, every every track you went to. I remember I went to a couple. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, you had Scott and you had Billy and, um, you know, Francis and Eckert and guys that had won national championships and – and, uh, you know, Shane came on board a little, not at the beginning of the year because he actually was running the other series. And Shane's really the only guy left in the world of Outlaws that's been here since the beginning. I mean, he was he missed a few shows early, but, 
you know, he was on board by the end of the year. And then is it kind of like, is it kind of crazy because you've basically been there from the start too, and then you see all these guys slowly and slowly drop off. You know, that's kind of like that we have a new era like Turbo and them stepping in, you know, replacing those guys. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I seen it happen from back in the day when Jeff Purvis and Larry Moore and Freddie Smith and all them guys were the big names. Jack Boggs, you know, uh, there was an era, you know, Back then, it really wasn't the young guys that came in. Josh was really one of the first young guys that actually got excelled his, early. That got his footing early. Yeah. You know, usually it took a guy until he was in his mid thirties before he was at that level where Jeff Purvis and Freddie Smith and Scott Bloomquist and those guys were because of experience. And um, you know, now it's young guys coming in here and getting in these cars and going. And there's so basically, there's no chance in hell Turbo would have been invited to the Dirty Dozen original meeting. Without credentials, I mean, he had, <laughs> if he if he'd have won a Crown Jewel race or a national championship, he'd have got invited. Okay, so give us today's Dirty Dozen. Who would you put in it? I don't even know. You, I mean, you got. Would I you take the top know. six from each points? Would you take? Guys that are kind of fall, no, like because I mean, O'Neill and them are. If kind we were of putting one together, it would be the same, same venue. Credential. You would have to be a crown, at least a crown have one, jewel, have a crown jewel win or a championship. Or well, I mean, what champion, kind of a national it championship? It would have to be World of Outlaws or Lucas. What about a summer nationals win? Yeah, what about a summer nationals win. It could be. It could be a summer national championship. I mean, we okay. would have to consider that. Go run it next year too. I got to get that. I mean, you could you could put a mock list together but right you know from that right right okay if you were going to start a new dirty dozen what would you put yourself in charge as would you just run it or would you be like would you be the tim christman or the rick schwally of the new dirty dozen and what would you call it knowing what i know right now yeah yeah i'd be in charge of the concession stand okay a concession stand fair enough okay you travel you drive this blue hauler you speed down the road and I remember you told me this on Swab Talk, so we got to go over this again. But the craziest travel story, like this one time you almost hit a guy on the side of the road. He was like, you were driving, he was going the other way or something like that? No, actually, the guy was coming my way. Yeah. And we were on a four-lane highway out in <laughs> Missouri, and Ed Petroff was in front of me. He was driving Brian Shirley's truck, and Ed's on the CB, and he says, hey, he went around the turn, and he says, hey, you got one coming at you. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And I was out in the passing lane. Well, here comes a car in the passing lane coming my way, head on. So I just eased to the right, kept easing to the right. And Jimmy Fry was looking out the window. He was sitting at the uh, table in the motorhome, and he was looking out the window. And that guy went by, and I just barely got over enough. There was a car beside me that actually went over to the right, and I took that car over with me. Yeah. Never hit it, but the car knew what was going on. Right. And Ed said, hey, did you see that guy smoking that cigarette? I said, hey, man, I didn't have time to see that guy doing anything. I was just trying to get out of the way to keep from getting hit. Right. But that guy was on Interstate 44, and that was probably the closest to having a bad, really, really bad accident. I've followed Mark for three years, and I've almost witnessed about 100 bad accidents. Like, I'm telling you, 90 miles an hour, headed to Brunswick, get pulled over. That I call him. Like I call him. I said, hey, uh, you get a ticket? No, that guy let me go. I would ne- I'm telling you, I've got more speeding tickets following him, and he never gets a speeding ticket. Because it's That's the famous word. blue hauler. I mean, I don't know if he gives him shirts like, or what. I feel like we're like in the Taj Mahal of uh, Toters. Like, do you want to... Sur- 
Sorry, I have my shoes I, off. I think is that this okay? is all BS. It's not BS. I'm not telling you. A consensus. How come you can have your shoes on? We got to take ours off. Because he's the boss. He runs I'm in it. charge. That is true. Oh, yeah. You talked about per- Jeff Purvis earlier. How good do you think he would have been if he would have stayed with late model racing? Do you think he would have been the greatest of all time and you know be up there with Scott and Billy Moyer? He definitely would have been right there with Scott and Billy. I mean, Jeff was uh, you know, very talented guy. He goes to Eldor. I think the first trip he goes, I don't know the history completely, but I think he won the first time he went up there. And, uh, you know, he was definitely one of the best in that, in that era. Do you think me and Turbo got cheated because we never got to see him race? Yeah. This yeah, is one of the best. Definitely. He was way before my time. Yeah. I think you were, like, not even thought. I wasn't even born yet when he was racing. No. Okay, speaking of goats, who do you think is the best driver of all time between Billy Moyer and Scott Bloomquist? It's always the argument we have, but I think the last five or six years, Scott's kind of maybe. Definitely. I I think it's swung towards Scott here lately, but, you know, they were neck and neck for a lot of years. You think, that you think like, the fans – you think the fans talked about it as much as, like, the people in the pit area, like, who's the greatest of all time? And, like, you know, they had that rivalry, and every time they went to Eldora, those two kind of collision course pretty Listen, much. Listen, here's the, the way I look at it. They both have had great careers. That is true. Yeah. You know – yeah, you don't need to put one on a pedestal. It's not like you one got, A, one B. Right, it's not yeah. like you got to. Are you going to? How are you going to judge that? You're right. going to judge it by by the number of wins. You're going to judge it by money earned. I yeah. mean, how do you judge that? Right. How do you judge the greatest of all time? I don't know. I'm going with Scott. What about you, Turbo? I'm more of a Scott fan, but to be fair, when Billy was like in his prime, when he was, I think he was. I mean, he won races like. Everywhere. Listen, and he's won more variety. They both of were great. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure that you can't really compare. you have to call it. I can say they're two of the best of all time. Yeah. And this brings me to my next question. You have, you know, those two guys, Freddie Smith, Jeff Purvis, Jack Boggs, and I always hear like the older guys say like the racing was better back in the day, and it seemed like you guys had more fun. Why do you truly believe that? And you've told me that a few times. I think the pressure was less. Um, the pressure's higher, especially like these young guys today. They have more pressure on them than what the drivers back in those days had um, because now you're expected to perform. And we're and, spending a lot, t- 10 times the money, and, would you uh, say? And the amount of money that's involved, um, which it's all in proportion. You know, everybody says the cost is cost to cost. Well, you look at back in, their, back in those days, like the 70s and 80s, the cost of a new vehicle was how much? Four or five thousand dollars for a new car. Right. What's a new car and today? Now it's fifty. 40, now it's fifty thousand. Right. You know what was the cost of a house back in the seventies or eighties? Yeah. You know you could buy a nice house for thirty grand. What are you going to buy now for thirty grand? You right. know you're not going to buy a nice house for thirty grand today. Yeah. So it's all in proportion. The cost back then was high, and I can remember when I was with Rodney Combs back in like the early eighties when we got our first aluminum engine. It was a big deal. To, to have an aluminum engine and have the money to spend that extra seven or eight thousand dollars, whatever it was back then, right? To have an aluminum engine that yeah. cost like fifteen or sixteen thousand, you know. Yeah. So it's all relevant uh, as far as what cost was back then to what it is today. But the difference today is, I think we race way more races for more money. Um, and the team owners or the drivers, whoever's in charge of the of the cost, there's a lot more involved today than what there was back then as far as the total cost of running one of these teams up and down the road beyond what the car is. And do you think that Rick Ecker brought to that point, Dirt Millen, and was asking, you know, about Dirty Dozen stuff, 
you think that, like, with the more money, more spending, kind of like the buddy-buddy thing in the pit area has kind of lost its charm a little bit? Because he said that back in the day, you guys would all travel together like a giant circus. Now it's kind of like, yeah, those clicks and yeah, stuff like that. Everyone's in I had a guy, I had a friend of mine walk up to me at Gaffney at the World Outlaw Race last month, and he said, guy that traveled with us on the road all the time, and he looked at me and he said, Mark, what happened? And I said, I don't know what you mean. What do you What do you mean? What happened? He said, "What happened in this pit area?" I said, "I don't know." He said, "Well, we all used to go race and have fun, have a good time, and now it's like everybody's against everybody." And I said, "I know it's not like it was. We all used to help each other up and down the road. If if a guy needed a motor changed." Three or four teams would get there. We'd make sure that guy helped get his motor out, get help him get his motor back in. If his truck broke down, we'd stop. Everybody helped. And today, it's I don't I don't know what it's become. It's become, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to say. It's cutthroat. I it's think cutthroat. is what it is. It is. I mean, it really it is. is. You've got like right now in our day and age, you've got like the Rocket Row, as everyone says, and you kind of got the Longhorn Crew. And it's not that we're against each other. By any means, but it's where the information comes from. Exactly. Yeah, you got to like. You don't want your information to bleed to to that other camp. Well, back in those days, it it really didn't matter. But we had our rocket group. I mean, you know, I traveled back in the day. I'm going to say my greatest traveling days was with Dale McDowell when he was running, you know, rocket cars, and Rick Hecker, and Shane was in there, and um, Timmy McCready. Daryl, Daryl, and and Steve Francis, and Shannon Babb. We all traveled up and down the road together, and it was like, it was way different than it is today. Even though we still have, you know, Rocket Row here, or Longhorn Row, or whatever it may be, back in those days, it was just like, I, I don't know, it wasn't like everybody was, like, Turbo says cutthroat. It is. It's, I mean, I think it is, too, is because... I think maybe I don't know that y'all weren't as competitive or whatever, but everyone now is so. I mean, I know how bad you want to win and we want to win. I even think it's to the point where, like, within that group, you still like, you know what I mean. You might have three of these guys that are a little tighter than these guys because they think that's how they get their edge. I'm going to be honest with you. I worked harder back then to try to win than yeah. I work now. Right. And I feel like we win more now than we did back then because. I've actually taken the pressure off myself, and I've turned it over to my crew guys, and I just say I'm the truck driver. God. Yeah, I heard you <laughs> speaking of truck driving. I've how many times have you hit like the side of a bridge or not that know, many toll plazas? Yeah, toll plazas. Not that just, many. Do you skip the toll plazas and just pay it later, or what? Uh, I just stay in the right lane. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything, Turbs? No, I mean I'm pretty pretty tapped. Uh, since we're at Charlotte, what's your what's your best Charlotte memory? I know you told me that one time about uh, they paid all the money if you started the back, and Josh started the back and broke, and just all the crazy Charlotte stories and people getting knocked out here from the races and like. Well, just for a, a long lot of, time, this place was uh, not one of the favorite places to come to because of the track conditions, but now it's one of my favorite places because the track conditions have gotten much better, and 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 you know I we like running on tracks like this, you know, big fast hype high speed places and this place is pretty high speed so we like running on these kind of tracks but you know 
back in those days when they were knocking drivers out because of the dirt clods and all that. And, and one night we were here, and, and that was the night that Chubb Frank, it wasn't a great memory, but it's it, something happened here. And it was a topless race. There was a night Chubb Frank got smashed, and Jeff Cook, I think, was yeah, his name. Yeah, they like he ended got Jeff smashed. Cook's career pretty much. Yeah, I, and I had a piece of metal on my roof, and when I unloaded, the promoter at that time and Tim Crispin come over and they said, you can't run that piece of metal. It was on the roll cage. And I said, what do you mean I can't run that piece of metal? I got the top off. Right. That's my safety barrier that's on top of the cage to keep right. something from going in on the driver. And they said, you can't race unless you take that off. So we took it off and Josh went out and set fast time. And uh, anyhow, when qualifying was over, I called Tim Crispin on the phone and I said, listen, Somebody needs to get them pieces of hard clay off the bottom of that track or we're going to kill somebody. Right. And we went right into the heat races. Well, luckily, Josh was on on the pole of the first heat. So he, you know, wins the heat by straightaway and nobody nearing. Well, next thing I know, they started knocking guys out. You know, I think Chubb was one of them. And, and Jeff Cook, obviously, he landed on the back straightaway. And they cut the cage off that car to get him out. That's how bad it was. Yeah. It was a bad scene. And I told Chrisman, I said, listen, I I know that this is points and it's everything, but my car is going in the truck. I am not. I said, you made me take that roof off. And I said, my car is going in the truck. So they finally canceled the night, which was great that they canceled that night because you know, it was just treacherous. I think all them topless races are the stupidest thing ever because you take a little bit of protection away from the driver mm-hmm. to get this unique look, yeah. supposedly. But think about this, Turbo. You get in your car, and you let me throw rocks at you with your roof on. Now, I got to hit through that window to hit you. Correct, yeah. You take that roof off. Yeah, you got a lot and now chance. let me throw rocks. You got a you got lot better a, chance. Got a lot better chance. So you there's know, way more chances of getting hit with debris. And, you know, I just refuse to race a topless race. Yeah. I mean, it's just the stupidest thing ever for protection for these drivers. Ray I Cook mean, got hurt real bad, didn't he? He flipped into in the mud, come in, like, through the roof. I'm not sure. Ray Cook flipped somewhere. I'm not you sure. You have to look that up, Swab. But he did. I, it was a... It was one of them races somewhere in the southeast, and he flipped and like the mud come in. Like well, that's what happens heavy. if it's soft. Yeah, it almost and like that car lands on it. That yeah. mud comes in there. But my concern at all these topless races are any type of debris. Correct. It doesn't matter whether it's rocks, clay, a part off of a car, anything. You take that roof off. You take protection away from that driver. Yeah. So, you know, for me. I'm no topless fan, so. I agree. I, I mean, I'm a topless helmets. fan, but it's not in the, with the cars. Heard that. Heard that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one there. Okay, last couple questions here. Um, what You've been racing for a long time, obviously. I don't even know. When did you start? When you were 14? So I was like in the late, late 1800s or? Golly, yeah, that's cold blood. That's Actually, cold-blooded. my dad had cars in the 50s. I was born in 1960. So my dad had cars in the 50s, and he went broke. So he had a bad. He loved racing, but he had a bad experience with owning a car his cars won a bunch of races but back then they they paid like 100 125 dollars to win yeah so and he had the best cars like he had the best you could get yeah and he owned coal mines and all that stuff and they would go racing at night and then work all day you know Mm -hmm. so he ended up 
it, it got our family, I, I wasn't around, but it got our fi family in financial trouble because, you know, they were paying a little more too much attention to the racing than they were their work. Yeah. So he got out of it. So when I came along, he would take me to the races. Mm -hmm. And he'd always say, you, you don't want to be around. You can watch these cars, but you can't work on them. And I don't know. I was probably eight, nine, ten years old. He was taking me to this track in Pittsburgh. It was called Heidelberg. And uh, it was an asphalt track. Actually, all the equipment and everything right now that's at PMS was at Heidelberg originally. So this stuff's 60, 70 years old. Oh, yeah. That stuff at PMS is old. It looks like but it. Yeah, I, would say I got a souvenir program. It's got the press box. It's got the grandstands. It it's got everything. Same. It's the same lights and everything yeah. from back in the mid-60s. And actually, my dad raced there in the 50s with his cars, and it was dirt, and they paved it, and it was pavement all the time. But he would take me up there, and that's where I really got, I guess I could say I really got the bug, because there were these, there was these two green cars that would come in there from Michigan every year, and they would win all the races. And it was Ed Howe's cars is who it was. And here I was, a kid, 8, 9, 10 years old, watching these cars, you know, and... Uh, Did you run around shirtless like Sheppy's kid? Just run around, just whatever? With a turbo hat remember. on? I can't remember what Tongue I was out, doing. Turbo but hat. Anyhow, I'd watch these cars, and my dad would talk about these green cars from Michigan all the time. And and my brother decided he wanted to get a race car, and my dad threw a fit over that. But my brother was like 20 years older than me. So he gets this old car, and I was like 13, and he said, Listen, I got that car, and you're going to take care of it. And I'm like, Okay, I don't know nothing about this car. So Yeah. Anyhow, I, I was mechanically inclined because I grew up around construction equipment. My dad had construction companies, coal mines, and all kinds of stuff. So I was around all kinds of, of different mechanical things and welders and all that kind of stuff. I was welding when I was 10, 12 years old. And we had a trailer park, and I did cleanup and all kinds of stuff on that. So I'd actually been around work. And yeah. my brother said, once you take care of this car, so I raced with my brother's team for quite a while and there was a guy came along uh his name was jd stacy which was pretty big back in the day in the nascar days he owned well he sponsored like 10 cup cars one year at daytona he bought my brother's team out him and another guy and i went to work for them and i ended up with a guy named rodney combs and rodney said the only way we can do this is if we do it with ed house house car well here i am 19 years old so that was like your idol, and now you're back. Well, yeah. yeah. I don't know that they were my idol, but I watched these cars. You just remember and them they, winning all the time. They dominated. Yeah. Well, Rodney said, the only way we can do this is if we take Ed Howe's house car and, you know, we'll take it racing. So I become the crew chief for Ed Howe's house car when I was 19 years old yeah. on dirt. And we had three good years, I'm going to say late 79, 80, 81, 82 and Jim got killed in 83, and then when Jim got killed, that changed everything for Ed Howe. He didn't want anything to do with this dirt racing. Did he? How did he, he died in a race car? Jim Dunn. Really? Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah, that was a car that I put together, uh -huh. and it was a bad day right. at Paducah, Kentucky. Right. I didn't go back to Paducah, Kentucky for 20 years. Yeah, I don't imagine. blame you. I didn't I'd go imagine. back till 2003. Right, I'd imagine, yeah. Okay, we got this last question for you. We're going to do this for every guest. So you have to give me your honest assessment of Tyler Erb's driving ability, and please be truthful about this, even though he's in the room. Come on. Like, 
You got Listen, an he, honest assessment. It, it, what's bad is he's told me his honest opinion on multiple times. Well, I want to hear it now. Good, I'm just saying it. it changes day to day, though. Like I, I guarantee you, when he met me, to me flipping to, there's certain times where he's probably been higher. Low. I think right now I'm at a pretty good spot. Yeah, let's let's hear his honest assessment, though. Come on. Um, I don't know. He has Tyler really has great car control. It's just sometimes he's a little beyond where he should be as far as how fast he's going. I think if he just slow down a little bit, he would win way more races. Uh, but as far as car control, he definitely has that, and he has the ability to uh, probably go further in this sport. Well, you know what? We're going to take all these assessments, and by the end of the year, next year, going to be one of the best drivers ever. I hope so. I mean, that's what that's what I'm working for, I guess. Well, I guess maybe if he listens a little bit, he will learn. You know, I get, you listen to your dad. I get coached I got, a lot. I mean, I get coached a lot. Trust me. I got one of the most coachable drivers I've ever coached. And well, you're and that's, and that's Brandon Shepard. He is the most coachable driver ever. But it's taken Tyler a little while. I mean, I <laughs> I'm honest with him. That's good. We need an honest assessment. We're trying to get him. Uh, to be one of the greatest ever, so we're going to take all these people we interview, and we're going to be like a stud driver. Oh, I hope so. Wait till you get Randall's interview. He'll tell you what he really thinks. Yeah, there we go. Well, Mark, uh, appreciate all the time. I know you're a busy man. You're the godfather of Rocket Chassis. But the funny thing is, he walked into this uh, interview, and he did not believe this is actually a thing. This is actually real. It'll be on, you know, dirt on dirt, and uh, we appreciate all the time you did for me and Tyler. No problem. Thanks for having us on. I'm sure we'll see you again sometime soon here on the Suave Talk powered by Turbo. That interview was brought to you by Dyer's Top Rods, the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline, too. Shout out to all those guys there. And, man, oh, man, we could have talked for hours with Mark Richards Turbo, but he had to get going. He had to get that championship car ready to go there at Charlotte. But, man, he had some good stuff to say. Yeah, Dad's full of good stories. He's kind of a – he's a – you know, people are often intimidated to, like, talk to him, but that's – it's never been a problem for me. I'm pretty good at talking to people and – uh Ever since I've got to know him, he's uh, he's always good for a story every time you see him. And uh, I mean, a lot of knowledge, too, but I try to keep it lighthearted with him. He's, uh, he's a little too serious for me sometimes. Why does he get a bad rap so many so many places? Like, fans kind of are, you know, scared of him. Drivers, you know, they're always saying stuff about him. It's just, he, he gets kind of, a, you know, a bad rap, and I don't think he deserves it sometimes. No, he's kind of like the Great White Buffalo. You know, there's a lot of, like, <laughs> things that happened and been said that never really did. So, he's a... I think he just and he embraces it and he doesn't he does the best he can you know what I mean you can't knock the guy he sells race cars and he travels up and down with Shep but at the same time people are always just bugging him for help and he's I mean he's honestly pretty pretty easy to talk to for a guy that gets bugged nonstop by everybody that has a rocket car you know everybody's like oh I spoke to Mark this week and like I would only imagine I talk to about five people a week like religiously and sometimes I don't even want to talk to them. Like Steven Roberts, I talk to him on the phone every day and some days he'll call me and I just let him talk for like 45 minutes and I go do other stuff. And when he gets back, I, you know, I, I can't imagine being Mark and having my phone ring 24 seven. I definitely have to have a B phone if it was me for sure. I'd have a burner and the burner would be on 12 to five. I don't have a burner. I do not have a burner and I watch movies. I don't have a burner phone, but I would, uh, I would have one if I was Mark Richards. He might. I don't know. I, I haven't asked him. That's one thing I forgot to ask him in the interview of, as if he's ever had a burner phone with you know all of his time on the road and stuff. Yeah, and also, you should do this for me. At Eldora, you should park in his parking spot. See what he does. I have honestly been getting closer. I keep parking where the insane one parks. Uh, that's Dwayne Chamberlain, for anybody that doesn't know. 
but I I've parked next to him at both races this year. So I think I kind of did take a spot because he always parks where like insane Dwayne, then it's big daddy. Then it's the rest of the rocketeers. Well, like we've snuck in there twice this year. Cause we, you know, I live 20 minutes away from there now. So we're the first truck there. So, uh, I think I kind of did take his spot and may, I don't know, maybe that's why, maybe that's why I'm intimidated of him sometimes. Cause I know deep down that I'm, you know, I'm messing in places that he shouldn't be messed with. Yeah, no doubt about it. It is pretty funny. He's always in the exact same spot, but he did say in the interview, he, that's like one of the most important things is having a good parking spot so you can get out quickly. And he that's definitely right. gets first, out quickly. First in, first out, every racetrack we go to. He's definitely got the title. We're going to keep this show going along, and this is our other segment that I think is going to be pretty funny. So, it's called Ask Jeeves segment, and if, of course you don't know what Ask Jeeves is, Turbo. This is like the this is like the first original like web you know search engine. You go to ask.com, you would type in like it was kind of like before what Google was. So you did stuff like that. Right. So I got three articles that I found, but the question I ask, I'm going to type it in right now. Who is Scott Bloomquist? I mean, we got to go with the goat in the first episode, right? Absolutely. I mean, you couldn't have picked a guy with more. Uh you know, myth, more mythological uh, stories than him. So I'm curious what was what was circling in 2002 when Ash Jeeves was big. <laughs> Ash Jeeves is very big. And June 27, 2018, the title of this is Dirt Racing Legend Scott Bloomquist to, under, to Undergo Surgery. And this is, you know, right after the firework where he said he was going to fix his rotator cuff. He kind of missed his drug test there and they suspended him. But he already wasn't going to race because he, you know, had a shoulder injury. What did you think about that all debacle at the firecracker at Lernerville? I, I mean, I was at Lernerville when, when all that went down. And I was just... Honestly, I was like pumped because he he was supposed to start on the pole there the year before, I believe, and like his ignition broke or you know what I mean? Like he rolled out for the parade lap and broke and he's really, really good there. And I was starting like top five, top six. So I was like, hell yeah, like he's out. Don't have to worry about him. But um yeah, you know, there's a little bit of uh like skeptical things about uh, you know, what happened. I've uh that guy's been racing for thirty something years and stepped in and out of that trailer and truck probably three million times and you know, it's crazy to fall and hurt yourself on the day of a drug test. But, hey, I'm not saying he did or didn't. I'm I'm in no position to. But uh, that definitely, you know, it, it, it drew a line where the, the people that love Scott were like, there's no way he skipped a drug test. And then the people that are not for Scott were like 100% druggy. Like, you know, and you can't, you can't label that guy that just because of him skipping the drug test. You know, there's a million things that can happen. I've skipped, uh, I've skipped some stuff at school before for certain reasons, so. It's a, uh, it definitely raised questions. I was probably like one of the biggest news, you know, non not like incident racing, you know, it's a, something that happened at a racetrack in 2018. So, uh, that was, a, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm glad it wasn't me cause I'm not really good at handling situations like that. I get mad and, you know, I might've acted irrational, but him, it's just like another day in the office. You know, he doesn't, doesn't let him phase in when people ask him, he gives them an answer and ends it with, ah, I told you. You know, so give me a good Scott Bloomquist. You know, you're good at that. Give me an impersonation. My best Scott Bloomquist. Let's just say I won at Kokomo in 2020. Ready? Three, two, one. Yeah, you know, it's been a long year. Uh, And, you know, without Randy here, uh, it's been tough to build cars and things like that. But Cody put this race on again, and I wasn't going to let that little mother win again in uh, 2020. So. We come and test it a few times, and, uh, you know, we've got these new crew guys here, and this, this one boy, his name's Rowdy, he's uh, he's really good at tires, so it's taking a lot of load off of me, and I'm uh, 
you know, that's why I've uh, been back on uh, what what I say that time, world domination. <laughs> oh, yeah, no doubt about that. And here's the second article I clicked on on Ask Jeeves. Worst to first, Scott Bloomquist wins his fourth globe, September 7th, 2014, when Scott Bloomquist in the window net went all the way to the back and he lapped or he passed everybody. He got sent to the back on like lap 19 there. Dropped the show the, was over. The show was over. When they put me the tail, I would have lapped the field. One of the best quotes <laughs> of all time. And he said, in victory lane, I believe everybody got to witness the fastest car in the world right there. How wild was that night, Turbo? I know you're a little bit younger there. That was five years ago, but man, oh yeah. man. He yeah, I was put there, on a show. I was there with uh, Timothy Culp, I believe, helping him. Like, this is before I race, you know, far out all the time. I I used to go with him quite a bit and just try to help and learn. And I was sitting in turn three because didn't uh, Ziggler Ziggler led a lot that year, wasn't it? Or was that the year before? No, Ziggler when, took Ziggler took out. Uh, yeah, it was Ziggler, Ziggler took was, out him and Mars. Like that's he was right. trying to lap. A, he tried to do, throw a slider on Dale McDowell lead. and wrecked. Yeah, and for the lead and yeah, wrecked. Like, yeah, for the lead. That's right. I was there. I remember. See, I'm pretty good at dirt late model knowledge. But anyways, I was watching it in turn three, and I watched Ziggler crash because like Scott had already went to the back at this point, like. I don't remember exactly who was, uh, you know, raised the thing. I think it was Mark. Uh, J.C. Crockett's the one. This is later on. J.C. told me this. He's the one that was like, hey, that guy, look at his window. That's solid. Well, he went and told Mark, and Mark was like, hey, whoa, that's not right. So then they told Sam or whoever, and it just started that big chain reaction. Well, like, that all happened, and we're like, why is Scott going in the back? Whatever, and, they, you know, everyone says it, and people are booing and cheering. Well, then the Ziggler thing, like, I honestly thought Ziggler was going to win the world, and I was like, holy shit. Well, then – so Ziggler happened, like, I totally forgot about Scott, and the next thing you know, Scott takes the lead and then laps, still laps up. He, he lapped Madden winning that race, which I thought's kind of ironic. Like, you know, now they're big buddies again and all that, but he lapped Madden that night in a Bloomquist car. If you if you watch the video, he was in that yellow car. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a crazy, I mean, it's a crazy thing. That's If I ever won from worst to first like that, and, I mean, he basically, led the race twice and yeah i'd say that was probably the fastest race car that day no doubt about it and the best part about that i remember there was a yellow on like lap 60 and he's already up to second and dale mcdowell is leading and they're caution laps going around he has his hand out the window doing his yin yang thing and the whole place like he's doing it down the front stretch the whole place is just going banana scott bloomquist fans are running to the you know the fence they're going crazy and you're just like Scott Bloomquist is going to win this race. Like that was one of the most badass moments ever at Eldora. I thought when he got the crowd all fired up there on that before he took the lead there on that last yellow. Also, funny thing is Jason Fager got a top five that night. He did that? get a top in the Pierce Bomb, the Green Pierce Bomb. I think yep. that was one of his best, you know, run last good runs there at Eldora. Maybe he can get his magic back one day. Maybe. And also, of course, the last one is we got to talk about the dirt lay model dream where, you know, he had to go to the doctor. He couldn't pee, all that stuff, and he wins the dream. And obviously, more controversy, you know, with Scott Bloomquist at Eldora. Yeah, he's a uh, – I mean, that's just one thing about him, man. He's – I think he thrives in it. Like, he's, uh, you know, good, bad, whatever. He's he's really, really good at getting getting his name, you know – to be very, very relevant all the time, either if he's not racing or he had, like when he got the, the motorcycle accident here recently, like that's all people cared about for eight months. And I was like, he hasn't even raced. Like, what is the deal? And like, he's just, he has that much like star power, I guess, and late model racing. So that night, uh, I mean, once again, it was a, a lot of people, like I heard Brandon Overton was going to drive his car. Then this guy was going to drive his car. And then it turns out, that I heard Tyler Herber was going to drive it. That is a very silly season thing to say, but <laughs> 
he uh yeah like no everybody's like oh scott's not racing scott's not racing and i think he won his heat from like 12th or something crazy to transfer you know like it was just like okay we're counting him out he's not even here he failed the drug test like this isn't his year like they're trying to like whoever doesn't want scott to win we finally got it he's not gonna win and then he shows up on saturday wins his heat from the back like just i mean just a typical scott moment and i think i'm if i'm not mistaken too this is when they left the pit box they showed up to the racetrack without a pit box and like they just had all kinds of different things you know and that's that's part of like everything that has to do with scott every night it's like oh yeah he did this too or he had these wheel well covers that were four foot round and this night this guy got in a fight and this guy got choked out on his crew like you know it's just like nobody ever knows or sees any of this stuff it's all just hearsay and you know it's like the it's like the game telephone i think by the time it gets to the public it's so far-fetched that that people love it like they don't even want to hear like oh yeah scott just like he actually is like really hurt he's sick he's at the hospital he'll be all right though we hope like nobody's concerned with his well-being they're all concerned with like i wonder if he really did that you know yeah it was just like, you know, with like like we said earlier, like the rumors happened, like with Chris Madden, you know, with this thing there at uh, before um, the Dirt Million, you know, thank God he was okay. But uh, I had so many different things. The best one was when uh, Boom Briggs um, called me and said that, yeah, he's like, yeah, since uh, Chris Madden got voted the number one driver and you know, on the dirt on dirt.com poll that Mark Richards made a voodoo doll, you know, and stabbed him in the yeah. eye. That was like one of the things I heard. <laughs> I heard too, yeah. Then there was other people that said, they were riding in a two-seater testing, and Scott was – I had her go, and someone said that they have a two-seater. Scott was driving, and Chris was riding, and there was a rock, you know, a rock come up and hit him. Another one was that they were both out there, and they were following each other, drafting. Just, like, crazy, crazy stories. It's like, man, the guy just got hurt. Like, it's all right. But people love it. Like, no one wants to hear just, like, something regular every day. Like, they want to hear the craziest thing you could possibly come up with. So, okay, fans, you can actually tweet at me and Turbo of, uh, you know, Ask Jeeves um... – you know, topic. We'll actually put it in the search engine, and we'll actually do one for that. So I'd like to see some fans get involved with the Axe G segment. Mine's D Suave underscore twelve. What's yours, Turbo? At Turbo ninety one on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat. Come on. Oh yeah, I know you're trying to get those snaps. Maybe f- some from some ladies. I think maybe. No, no. I'm. I I find my women and at church and places like that. So. I don't need to find one on Snap, but my Snap is at Turbo91, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Same, man. But, well, how do you think you did the first time here, Turbo? Your first kind of dirt on dirt. You're now a dirt on dirt employee. I'm pretty pumped, honestly. I just uh, I know all the money I've spent on pay-per-views since the time I was like 12, so I hope uh, as part of my retirement from dirt on dirt one day, Rigsby uh, you know, reimburses me for all those. Uh, I'm just looking to uh, make this podcast uh, better than – Better than Late Model Live, I guess. I don't know. I think I did a good job. I'm a good talker. A lot of people like to hear me talk. Some people don't, but that's your opinion. Uh, my <laughs> voice is the same in every country, continent, and uh, I hope uh, everyone enjoyed it. I think you're like one of like four Late Model drivers in the whole world that's one in two continents. Heard that. What up? Where are you at, Francis? <laughs> oh, man. Shots fired. We need Francis back down there because like, isn't he like the god down there? He is number one. I'm number two. He he's won like twenty something. Ra- like the last fifteen races he went, he never lost, and I think he's never run worse than like second or something crazy. And uh, I have uh, what do I have? Five or six wins there. So I'm second, but I'm like twenty nine behind him, and I'm like five ahead. Everyone else that's went there has only won once. So I'm uh I'm looking to can you know build on that in 10, 15 years. Hopefully, uh, I can call Francis one day and tell him that his record is no longer there. Well, Turbo. Thanks for you know. Thanks for uh, joining me on the show. I can't wait to get this season started. We got 
we got a lot of good interviews in Charlotte. Those two guys, we're going to keep them kind of secret who we interviewed, but thanks to Mark Richards and company. Thanks for bringing us in the blue hauler. That was the first ever Suave Talk with Fuel by Turbo. So I'm pumped that you get to do it, bud. And I think we did an okay job for the first one. There might be some little, uh, you know, difficulties along the way, but we're going to make this thing better. And I think that a lot of fans are going to love this, you know, this show. Yeah, yeah. If there's any problems, just make sure to call Michael Rigsby or text him. I would put his phone number out over there, but I think that would, uh, you know, hurt my my pay per view reimbursement down the road. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think it'll be good. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I think we'll come up with some, uh, you know, some some pretty cool things to talk about, and uh, really just shoot the shit. That's all we're doing. Oh yeah, it's like basically like me and you on the summer nationals three or four years ago, when I would just come up to you every day and just we'd kick the shit. Yep, my uh, my favorite summer national memories. Real quick before we go, Johnny Lawler rained out 19 years in a row <laughs> on on summer national minute. He says, and I quote, "This is trademarked at this point. I think they shouldn't call it the rain out tour. They should call it the pizza tour because me and Jim eat pizza every night." Hey. He's like Lou Malnetti's, all these Chicago places. Yeah, he was one of the few characters we've had on the summer nationals. But any complaints? Please tweet at MFR Dirt on Dirt. That's Michael Rigsby. If you have any complaints at MFR Dirt on Dirt, we don't need to get the complaints. Just send it over to my CEO boss, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you tell Rigsby. Well, thank you. That was our first ever episode. Until next time, we'll see you, everybody.